As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hello, it's Monty here for this episode of On Farm. As we publish, we are just weeks away from the 2022 Royal Highland Show. It's a huge milestone show this year, marking 200 years since the first ever show took place. And not only that, as you well know, we've had two years when the show couldn't go ahead because of COVID-19. So it's a pleasure, therefore, for this episode to have Bill Gray, RAS Chairman, as our special guest. We're hugely excited and at the same time totally relieved that we've managed to come alongside COVID. We've been down a few dark corridors over the last couple of years, but without doubt we've emerged, I think, pretty robust and and sustainable. I think if we'd lost this show, I think um, I might have presumed I was jinxed in some way. But um, I'm glad to say that all being well, we're looking at a barnstormer on the 23rd of June. We're going to make this episode a two-parter. For the first 12 minutes or so, we'll play you a chat I had with Bill the other day. We're going to hear how he's feeling and some of the other things that are lined up for this bicentenary year. Then we'll hear a tour that Bill and I did inside Ingleston House to reflect on some of the Royal Highland Society's history and heritage. That chat and the tour was played originally as part of a 14-part series we made with the Society back in the dark days of 2020. The bicentenary and the focus, therefore, on history seemed a good opportunity to bring that episode back to the fore. I hope you enjoy it. I'm Bill Gray, the Chairman of the Royal Highland and Agricultural Society of Scotland. Hi, Bill. How's it going? Nice to have you back on On Farm. Thanks very much, Monty. Yeah, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in good shape. Thank you very much. And I'm delighted to catch up with you again after quite a long time since we did the, the 14 podcasts or so that we did um, during lockdown. Yeah, to be fair, I, I don't know where the time has gone. Maybe it's a blessing that these past two years have sort of disappeared quite quickly. But yeah, th- that was the, the 14 episodes we did in 2020 when there was no show, sadly, obviously for, for COVID reasons. But hopefully some of our listeners might go back and catch up with them. But they were they were very much focused on the fact that, that we had no show. Whereas today, I hoped we could have a, just a quick chat about um, what, what's coming up in little over a month, well, it's, it's, it'll be under a month's time by the time this episode goes live. Um, it's all rushing upon you. It's coming at a pace, <laughs> I think it's fair to say. Um, having said that, with two years without a show, and, and notwithstanding that we we put on the Royal Highland Showcase, the live stream event that we did last year, which was um, actually turn, turning out to be a hugely important uh, gap filler, but we're hugely excited and um, at, at the same time, totally relieved 
that we've managed to um, come alongside COVID. I think that's the way people are talking about it. And um, we're putting on the 2022 Royal Highland Show. And it's a special show. It's a special anniversary. It definitely is. Um, It's the bicentenary of that first show, which we, we, uh, as I recall, talked about in in our podcast on the heritage, the house and heritage. And yeah, uh, to, to be celebrating the 200th anniversary of that first show is a massive milestone. They don't come around um, flippantly. You say they don't come around very often. They obviously only come around every hundred years, the so zero zeros. But um, yeah, it, it's hugely, I think, significant in a way that, that this is the year we've got the show back and we're able to um, not just turn our attention to running um, one of Scotland's or the, the largest outdoor event in Scotland, but also uh, you know the special uh, event that will be the 200th um, anniversary of that show. So yeah, hugely looking forward to it. The one, the one thing probably to mention is that it's, it's absolutely apt that um, the Highland region um, is the presidential team for this year. That's where, uh, for our listeners, um, the show used to move around the country up until 1960 to the different regions of Scotland. Uh, and during that time, that region hosted the show and, and hosted all of the various sort of dignitaries, etc. And we've kept that um, tradition um, going, even though we're now at Ingleston, have been since 1960. And I think it's very apt that the Highland region are the presidential team and are, are the host, if you like, for this year's show. You know, I think there's a lot of stuff there that they've brought. Uh, they've gone right out to the islands, for example, to, to bring exhibitors and, and a flavour. So that's a real, I think that's a real attraction for the show for this year, um, a real highlight. Over and above that, Monty, um, for me, it's just having the show back. But it's not just our show, and, and I've, I've said this before in various sort of um, guises, but, you know, the agricultural community and the rural communities of Scotland need local shows as well. They need this connectivity. They need this opportunity to get out and about and reconnect with each other, particularly after the two years that we've that we've just gone through. And while we may be the biggest, and we're only one of many that, that are around the country, and I've been to two or three already, there's a palpable sense of relief, I think, that people have been able to, you know, reconnect. We, we've talked a lot about mental health over the last couple of years, and I think this is a big part of it. You know, that that opportunity for people to get off the farm for a day or four days or however much they can manage to get to to to, to our show and hopefully to ours um, to reconnect. That that probably is my overriding view, even though it's the two hundredth. That'll be special for all that reason too. I'm going to actually, um, well, for the rest of this episode, once we've had a chat, I'm going to play out um, some of that history and heritage episode that you talk about because there's a lot in there about history of the show, people's memories of shows gone past, etc., etc. So we, we will come on to that, but it's great just to, to, to look forward now to, to what's coming up. So are you in a position, I mean, is there any, there must be some special things happening. Are you in a position now to, to give us a wee hints and tips about what we might expect at the show? Yes, absolutely. Um, we've, I suppose, from our members' point of view, one of the highlights will be the first opportunity to see the new pavilion at Ingleston, which we've branded the, the the new members' pavilion. It was such a such a sad moment in a way, um, notwithstanding everything else that was going on around in the world. But uh, a sad moment that we we received the keys to the completed building on time and on budget. If I'm allowed to put that out, um, but um, literally a week before we shut down and, uh, for the first lockdown. And and it and it pretty much has, has um, apart from a couple of occasions, um, it's pretty much sat quiet since then. 
We've done a number of things um, that people will see differently. We've uh, redesigned and revamped um, Scotland's Ladder, which is the food hall, to make that a, a better experience for people to enjoy because obviously with the um, COVID restrictions that we've been going through, we, we fully understand that some people may feel that they, they want a bit more space than they might have been prepared to put up with in the past. So um, that's been redesigned and it's also got a, a sort of cookery theatre bit added on to it, which is... Um, called Food for Thought. So that, that's, that's sort of really going on to that local food element, if you like, that, that um, certainly came to the fore during the various lockdowns where we were, everybody was pushing local produce and, and the fact that we should buy local, etc. and very aware of the, um, the air miles and the provenance of food, etc. And then over and above that, from a livestock and, and from a competitive point of view, there will be special medals for winners for this year for the 200th anniversary. There will be an element of live stream, building on the legacy from last year. RHS TV has been born and uh, will be going out, not in any way in the same level of coverage that we were able to do last year. It was very easy last year when there was nobody around the showground this year with um, burgeoning crowds, we hope, um, that uh, you know that's a much more difficult thing to do. So we're, we're trying to pick highlights and run a kind of magazine type show and a highlight show for people who quite clearly want to, to tune in from abroad or for, or even for those who can't make it to the show. And then I guess uh, we've got a big wheel, um, a bit of a departure for us. It's well out of the way of, of, of any of the livestock away up in the southwest corner, but a fantastic view of the showground will be available from the top of that. That had been actually planned for the 2020 show, as a number of these things have, and they were obviously put into sort of cold storage for, for the couple of years that we've been away. And then in the countryside area, we've got a new kids zone um, where um, families can go and um, parents can just uh, chill out and relax and uh, allow the children to play. There's various sort of ride-on tractors and things like that there. So, yeah, we, we, we've not been idle in the two years that we've been away. Having said all of that, um, we didn't want to change too much because, um, you know, it, it's a, a well-loved format for so many. Uh, and, uh, you know, people will be coming back to hopefully recreate those memories that they've had before. It's just going to be fantastic to be back, to be honest. It's just going to be fantastic to be at the show, all the catch-ups that haven't happened and, 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 and all the chat and, you know, the business that gets done. It's it's just going to be... I'm I'm personally looking very much looking forward to it. Can we chat a little bit? Because there has been a bit of kind of, if I want to use the word controversy, um, about the ticketing and booking, etc. But you've done a lot recently to, to sort of clear up any confusion around that. I suppose you know. Here's another chance just to talk about what the arrangements are. If you if you if you want to have a wee description of what what people are going to face when they've got to book tickets and things like that, Bill. Yes, absolutely, Monty. I mean, we've we've been communicating, particularly with the members. We've been communicating a lot with them recently to try and and bring them through the the, the journey and the process that we're asking them to 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 come with us on. And um, this is basically pretty much set on the basis that we felt that we needed to impose a, a maximum limit on, on capacity for any one day at the show. Uh, that came out of the night, the 2019 show, which, if you remember, was a record show. And, and certainly on the Saturday, it was pretty uncomfortable in some areas of the showground. Uh, we were safe, but we weren't comfortable about the visitor experience, and we certainly received some feedback on that basis that you know it was just too busy at certain areas of the showground. And then I think alongside, and I don't want to use COVID as an excuse, but just alongside that, again, that space thing, we just decided that 
it was a prudent thing to do for us because it allowed us to manage our expectations, also allowed us to manage all of our resources and, and make sure that all our, our infrastructure, which is, you know, second to none after all the investment that we put in, but, uh, you know, is, is nevertheless will we'll creak at some point when capacity, it, it all has a capacity, um, and if it gets it close to being exceeded, then, uh, you know, you, you run the risk of, of, um, of the visitors not having the experience that they want. So in, in terms of that, um, our, our membership response has been unbelievable. We've already processed in excess of 10,500 uh, member applications. We did ask our members if they wouldn't mind to let us know that if they were definitely not going to come on some of the days of the show, that they could um, by booking their tickets or by selecting the days that they were going to come. That was not to be restrictive in any way. We were absolutely clear that uh, a membership um, allows you to come to all four days of the show if you so wish. And we quite understand that for flexibility reasons, um, some people will say, I don't know which day I'm going to come, so I'm going to say I could come on all four. That's absolutely fine by us. We didn't in any way want to take that away from our membership. However, what it has done, and a number, you know, a great number have uh, responded, for example, who never come on a Saturday or a Sunday and never will come on a Saturday or a Sunday. And they've said, we're not coming on a Saturday and a Sunday. And when we've got a capacity situation, it allows us to then know how many uh, tickets we have available to sell to the general public. So that, in a nutshell, maybe a long nutshell, um, was, was the reasoning behind what we've done. And we've communicated this through many channels. And, and I know there's been a little bit of um, um, disquiet, I think would probably be the right word, uh, about the whole process and, and, and why we're doing it. But uh, I think once we've had the opportunity and we've continued with the communication, once we've had the opportunity to explain to people why we're doing it, there's a much more sort of general acceptance, I think. And then from the general public point of view, we're insisting that people buy a ticket in advance, quite simply. And the reason for that, as much as anything, is that with a capacity, if you don't buy a ticket in advance and the capacity is reached and we sell out, then the ticket won't be available. So we're still encouraging the general public as much as possible to buy a ticket in advance. I suspect the Fridays and the Saturday look like they're going to be the two busiest days, which would be normal, um, Sunday less so. Um, but having said all of that, you know, if you wake up on a Saturday morning and it's chucking a diamond rain, you decide not to come uh, and you want to come on the Sunday instead, you'll be able to buy a ticket almost up until the point you arrive in the gate um, via your smartphone or, or, or the normal sort of ticketing channels. Um, so that, that's that's really where we are. Um, we've had a fantastic response, as I say, from our members um, and our ticket sales compared to normal for public ticket sales at this time of the year are, are way, way ahead of where they would normally be. So we're, we're pretty encouraged that... Um, you know, the message is, is sound and, and the reasons are sound and people are, are responding to that. Good. Brilliant. What are we looking for? 50,000 a day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 200,000 people. Funnily enough, um, we had a media briefing recently and, and one of the questions was, well, you're kind of reducing your capacity and reducing a potential for a record. But if we actually had 50,000 on all four days, we would have a record. So, yeah, absolutely. Let, let's um, Let's go for it. Whether or not the 2022 show will be a record breaker, it will certainly be special. I'm really looking forward to it. After two years without a show, coming back with number 200 is pretty momentous. Huge thanks to Bill for the chat. And we're now moving on to part two of today's episode. Back in 2020, in the depths of COVID, 
Bill and I got together at Ingleston House, the RAS headquarters, to have a chat about the history and heritage of the society. Now, just ahead of this bicentennial show, we thought it would be a good time to give that chat another run out for you. There's a portrait of Lady MacRobert. As everybody knows, the MacRobert Pavilion became the iconic member centre for um, nigh on 60 years. There's quite a funny story about Lady MacRobert, actually, because um, a number of years ago, um, for some reason, quite a lot of paintings and portraits and things were put up into the attic for storage. Lady MacRobert was discovered up there, and so it was decided that actually she should probably be in the MacRobert Pavilion. However, they put her uh, in behind the bar at the Doonside Bar, and um, somebody apparently came in one day and, and with a look of horror on her face and said, you know, why have you got Lady MacRobert in the bar? And they said, well, seemed a reasonable place. Did you not know that she was teetotal, was the reply. <laughs> so Lady McRobert was quickly rescued from the, the den of iniquity that the Doonside Bar used to be and, and was brought back up here to Ingleson House, so she now resides in much more peaceful and suitable surroundings. There's a, a beautiful grandfather clock here, for example, in, in memory of, of, of James Durno by his daughter, Miss Mary Durno, um, from Tarvis, an honorary president and a, and a director. So it just shows you the sort of feeling that families have for being part of this society. And we see this a lot of legacy, you know, and it's not all about financial legacy at the end of the day, but you see a lot about legacy, about stories and memories and the roadshows that we did recently, for example, back in November. It's fantastic to meet people who have such a sense of belonging to the society as a whole. Do you see that as being important and, and something that families should be proud of encouraging the younger generation to become members of the society? I, I think as far as, as the future is concerned, that, that real sense of belonging, I think, is the thing that will keep this society in good heart for years and years to come. To do that, um, we, need the, we need the younger generation to become members and become part of the, the shaping of the society as, as their predecessors have done in the past. I have two grandchildren and they don't know it yet and nor does my daughter, but um, there'll be um, a couple of life memberships going in their direction, even though they're young enough and don't need it. Um, but uh You know, that's part of the support that we'll give to the society and to, to make sure it's, it, it goes forward. Um, Bill, who were your predecessors? Who were the founding fathers of the society? Well, the founding fathers were, were a group of individuals who met one night in the Tontine Tavern in Edinburgh. It must have been around 1784 because, of course, the, the founding of the society was, on, was actually in 1784. And I think they decided that they wanted to form a society that promoted agriculture and promoted farming, promoted rural life from very humble beginnings over a beer or two, no doubt. There is a suggestion that they were actually um, removed from the tavern and actually clinched a deal outside. We're not sure whether that was because they'd overindulged or whether, in fact, it was closing time and chucking out and they ended up out in the street. Behind me is Stamp Office Close. Here's BBC Scotland's late, great landward presenter, Ben Coots, back in 1984, marking the society's 200th anniversary. And there was a well-known pub called Fortune's Tontine Tavern, where 50 Highland gentlemen agreed to form the Highland Society of Edinburgh. They were probably fortified with some of the good claret that used to abound in these days. But that was 200 years ago, on the 9th of February, 1784. So yeah, um, hats off to them. Look at what they started. Do you think they would be proud if they could see what the society and the show has become? I think they'd be amazed, actually. 
How interesting would it be to time travel and, and go back and say to these guys, you know, did you realise that this is what you, this is your legacy and this is what you started? We'll rejoin Bill in a few moments, but meantime, they say journalism is the first writing of history. So, we're now going to hear the thoughts and memories from two of Scotland's most wheel-kent farming writers. Ken Fletcher, editor of The Scottish Farmer, and the first voice we'll hear, Andrew Arbuckle, formerly of The Courier and writer of a 20th century history of Scottish farming, Footsteps in the Furrow. The first uh, Highland shows that I can remember are back in the 1950s. The big attraction, or the thing that stuck in my schoolboy mind was they had a display by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the Mounties, on, on their horses, and it was the most impressive thing. As far as other people are concerned, I'm a mere youngster. I can trace, going back to the Highland Show, to about 1974, 1975. I used to milk cows at weekends and stuff for a, a local farmer, and he took me down the Frisian lines, as they were then, and he introduced me to a few people. And a man who looked as if he'd maybe had a, a few low flyers uh, the night before had uh, asked me, can you lead a beast, son? And I said, aye, I can lead a beast. I always remember the name of the animal. It was called Blackwood Janna the Eighth. And it was an old, fat, dry cow. But to me, it was the best moment I'd ever had in my life up to that point. Uh, which just goes to show you how what a sad upbringing I had. The other thing that was noticeable I, uh, was if you went down the stock lines, the breeds in those early days were totally different from what you've... Um, multiplicity of breeds that you have nowadays. You must have been wowed by lines of machinery and was it, you know, back in that day it would be the place to, to see the latest introductions in technology, etc. Was it? Oh, the, the, there's no doubt the rows of shiny machinery were very seductive to, to a farmer. The other thing that I should mention, because it's a family tradition to go to the shows as, as it is with many farmers, I can remember trailing around with my father at these early shows and the only trouble was he seemed to know everybody and it just took an age to get, he all stopped to speak to somebody else and I wanted to see more and more, but uh, it was a slow process. I think that hasn't changed, Andrew. I get the same with my, well, my six-year-old daughter now. She just was absolutely, you know, Daddy, 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 let's go. And But I need to speak to so-and-so. When you go to the Highland Show, you can't go 10 yards without meeting somebody that you know. And it's fantastic because it, the people make it. If you take the people out of it, you have nothing. If you leave the tractors and the livestock there, you have nothing. It's the people that make everything. And it's the same for the local shows. Back in the, in the 60s, 50s and 60s, it was very much a farming event. It was a different uh, type of show. It was very, very much an agricultural show in, in those days, you know, particularly on Saturdays and Sundays. In the modern show, it's very much a, a town event. The founding fathers, if you like, the folk that founded the Highland Society, what would they think of the progress that's been made? I think they'd be astounded, not just to the agriculture itself, but to the running of the, the show. Around that time, there was a great deal of agricultural improvement going on up and down the, the country, and they realised that if if people weren't able to speak to each other and like minds weren't able to come together, the education side of farming was just going to go down a, a dead end. And way back then, they didn't give you very many prizes for good livestock and all that. It was for innovation. 
The Scottish farmer goes back to 1893, so we've been at every Highland show since then. That, the Highland show would be our bread and butter. But long before that, the Highland show was well forward in educating the kind of more enlightened farmers of the time. And really, that's, to me, the origins of the society. And to a certain extent, it has remained absolutely true to it, is to, is to further the enlightenment of the agricultural industry. There's daft things down through the years, you know, like how much potash to put on. and that That's a thing we leave to the scientists now. But in those days, they were dealing in guano. We're a far cry from those days. Really, it was an honourable thing for them to try and educate the agricultural community in general, as opposed to keeping all the good ideas for themselves. So it really was a kind of cooperative thing. In, in my opinion, they're maybe not stuck truly to the origins of the society in this respect, and that they have to sometimes maybe reboot their little computers and say, let's go back to our basics again. RET is, is a great organisation, but RET is taking the countryside into the town. The original ideals of the, the HASS, as it was that time, was to take good practice into the countryside. So are we trying to cater too much for people who don't know anything about agriculture? Maybe they need to look inward again and try and use the Highland Show platform to educate the farming industry. A distinct challenge to Ras from Ken Fletcher there. Has the society strayed from the original purpose of those 50 forward-thinking farmers in 1784? These days, is it pitched too much at talking to everyone else? and too little at supporting and bringing on agriculture and rural life. Back at Ingleston, Bill Gray disagrees. Just remember that the charter underpins all of that. You know, we've moved maybe a little bit more towards educating the, the, the general public, but actually when you think about it, that's all in, inextricably linked back to the, the whole consumer-producer relationship. To make ourselves better farmers and better agriculturalists, you know, if we don't promote ourselves and then we don't have a connection to our consumers actually that's not really uh, carrying out that particular function all that well and then I think the other thing to remember is that um, excellence also comes in livestock breeding for example so to win a ticket at the Royal Highland show is actually helping that that particular breed you know that particular animal the owner of that animal then has that as a part of their portfolio that shows that they've made advances in the breeding and the and the productivity of that particular animal and that particular line so that continues anyway so I don't we, we haven't wandered away from it I don't think at all I think what we have done is enhanced it remarkably well I believe to offer such a wide-ranging activities and, and interesting and don't forget a lot of what we do is, is educational uh, you know not necessarily directly through RET although obviously RET does that in an extremely good way at school level but if you think about the Highland Show 60% of our audience are, are urban in inverted commas, they might have connection to rural, obviously. But so you know, there's a huge education point from them, and there's an awful lot of information available at the show as to how animals are looked after. If you think back to one of your previous podcasts, where the family from Cumbernauld, no agricultural background whatsoever, they absolutely adore coming here. A, it's a blooming good day out, um, but actually for them, it's educational for them and their children to learn how animals are looked after, how systems work, how agriculture continues to broaden its horizons. It's so varied. There's probably things that we don't do when we're there that other families, their entire Royal Highland show experience 
might be completely different to ours. So the chance to see things like chainsaw artistry followed on by mountain bike stunts and then go and grab a burger and listen to a Cayley band. We can drive through lots of fields and see lots of cows and say that we understand the agriculture of Scotland, but I, I think the only opportunity I've really got to learn anything about it is at the Royal Highland Show. So yeah, no, I, I think natural evolution, I would suggest, and, and, and a slightly broadening of horizon probably from, from the early days, but um, absolutely and hugely valuable nevertheless. So I think the other thing um, just uh, in, in this uh, hallway are some, some letters to Gurley Steele. Now, Gurley Steele was a, a 19th century Scottish artist. He was commissioned as a, as a court painter to the Queen when she was in Scotland. Uh, and I think in here there was some talk of uh, a letter from Balmoral to, to Mr. Steele. Um, and it starts off, I take the earliest opportunity of returning to you the pen and ink sketches which you were obviously sent to the Queen for inspection. So he was obviously being commissioned by the Queen. Yeah, so uh, two figures of, of uh, Alma and Nimrod, uh, and, and these are some of the Queen's horses of the day, uh, back in, and I'm looking for a date, 22nd of October, 1874. So, um, I mean, you know, fantastic stuff. So we're heading downstairs into the, the depths of Ingleston House. We're heading to the library, passing um, various things like um, our advertising campaign, Great Show on Earth. So, you know, the, 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 whole, um, the whole thing about the show, and then we're talking about the sort of enormity of the show, the economic impact of the show is, is absolutely huge. Um, you know, between 60 and 100 million over the last 15 years to the Scottish economy. And society in its entirety is, is regarded that there was a, a study taken a while back and the society was, was contributing 60 million to Edinburgh and 250 million to Scotland um, nationwide. So welcome to the Rass Library. This is the most hugely historic part of the society here. The very first transaction book is dated 1799. So we have a, there's an annual transaction book every year. And I'm just going to take one down here. And I noticed that somebody has put a piece of paper in here for some reason. So we'll just open it up at that piece of paper. And we're talking about uh, Board of Trustees of the Highland Society. It says here, indeed, if the Board of the Trustees of the Highland Society would afford encouragement to a regularly bred wheelwright to fettle in Wick and another in Thurso, this would undoubtedly be attended with the greatest of advantages. So you can see how they were starting to shape what agriculture required in the different parts of Scotland. So that was a suggestion, obviously, that they ought to try and assist the setting up of a wheelwright up in Thurso and Wick, for example. The adoption of such measures would increase spinning very considerably. So uh, just an amazing history and record of the society dating back right to virtually its start. And, and here you have the proposed regulations for the Highland Society of Edinburgh. The objects of this society shall be, and then there's a whole list of regulations, etc., proposed, and that would be the forerunner um, of of, the, of what would ultimately become um, the Royal Charter. So history in your hand can't be that really, can you? And can anyone come in and look at this library, Bill? By by appointment, yes, but actually better than that. This has now all been digitised over the last sort of five years, so it's available online. The amazing thing about that is that, uh, if you want to go in, uh, for example, as an individual, 
the search engines work so well that if you were to put in the name of your farm, if your farm is mentioned in any of the transaction manuals in here, it will then bring up the relevant page with reference to your farm or your establishment or whatever. So, you know, it, it is now a resource for all rather than simply a resource that's held down here because when you think about it, the ability for other people to have access to that is vital because that's what keeps the history alive, isn't it? So there you go. Um, right across the board here, we, we, we've got uh, we've got things like pictures of old shows. We've got a, a souvenir picture of the Highland Show. So this was at Melrose in 1936. Quite sizable, actually. Melrose Abbey in, in the foreground. It was obviously stretching down along the river. But yeah, so, you know, just a wee, a wee wander around here looks at you know, some of the the Farmer's Handbook, which is a, a clear Harrop um, manual, not necessarily relating to here, but actually really important. Stephen's, uh, Stephen's Book of the Farm, published by MacDonald, all about farm crops, land and equipment, livestock. So the manuals of the past, uh, instructional manuals and, and, and encouragement manuals and Encyclopedia of Agriculture, for example. So a, a hugely valuable resource and fantastic that we have it. I do wonder if these podcasts might be recorded here in the future. You never know. Might be. Might be. So, yeah, fantastic. Um, and, uh, you know, all the awards, catalogues of implements, for example, possibly the forerunner of the, the, that'll be the trade stands, perhaps, but also the forerunners of the Technical Innovation Awards, for example. You know, a hugely important part of what we, talk, we were talking about, how things uh, improve. You know, that, uh, that technical innovation is, is the advancement of pr- improvement in innovation. That's a hugely important thing for us to be involved with, in my view. Um, so if you just go to your right there, so there's a... I'm going to pick this medal off here. And so this is uh, a medal presented by the Royal Dublin Society on the Royal Highland Agriculture Society of Scotland bicentenary in 1984. So that is the esteem that the society is held in by other societies. And just as much as we credit them with all of their success. It's really nice that everybody is quite happy to celebrate other successes by other people. Bill, there can't be another library like this in Scotland with this record of this archive of agricultural. I I wouldn't have thought so. No, I wouldn't have thought so. I I guess part of it is, you know, the the transactions of the society are are a a timeline of, of history right the way through. And because of the charter of the society and the charitable aim of helping agriculture and rural Scotland, you know, within all of these transaction documents and transaction volumes are history and action of improvements that have been made, of suggestions that have been made. So, yeah, um, quite fascinating. So we'll, um, we'll take a wander upstairs. And, um, you know, here's uh, Alexander Cross, who was the chairman of directors from 1908 to 1910, uh, and then honorary secretary thereafter, a very grand-looking gentleman with a nice whiskery moustache, um, obviously very prevalent of the day. But um, I'm not sure you'll see Bill Gray's portrait up here in the future. Bill Gray will be up there with a lockdown haircut. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe indeed. Uh, so all the way up here, we've got different uh, different pieces of artwork. Uh, Andrew Meikle, uh, a renowned East Lothian engineer, for example. All the way up here, as we go up towards the boardroom, up the main stairs... You're passing, here's George the Ayrshire Bull, for example, painted in 1840 by Gurley Steele. So, history in, in livestock. I realise, and you realise, stock looked different in those days. 
But isn't it quite peculiar how stock were painted in those days? When people like, you know, Catherine McGregor or the Scottish farmer photographers, etc., make such an effort now to capture the exact likeness of, a, of, a, of an animal, obviously, photography. Whereas it was artistic license in those days, wasn't it? Well, you're assuming that's the case. But of course, we weren't around in 1840 to know if that's exactly what it looked like or not. But yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, some of the perspectives of, you know, we're looking at an Ayrshire cow here um, who looks more like a, I don't know, a beef animal on stilts, really. Quite short legs, very deep chest, no sign of ribs at all across the back carrying a huge amount of flesh. We have to assume, I dare say, that these are accurate portrayals. Yeah. And actually the next one we come to as we walk towards the boardroom is one that was commissioned by ourselves from uh, an artist called Will Freeborn. This is Nessie, who was the winner of the overall um, at the last show for Major Walter and Balthayok. And uh, we decided that it was time that we commissioned a more recent champion. I wonder whether in uh, 240 years somebody was standing going, funny how they painted them in those days, isn't it? You know, is that what they used to look like? You know, I, I had the pleasure of, of presenting this to, to Major Walter uh, at the night of one of our roadshows, and um, he was chuffed a bit. And why not? 50 years of showing to, to get a uh, to get a winner, you know. So we now arrive at um, we arrive at the boardroom itself. I don't know how you describe this. It, it's just, uh, it, it, it's a homage to the past. It, it's, uh, it's the place where the business of today and the future is, is done and will be done. The current board of 59 or thereabouts will muster here on a, on a six weekly or eight weekly basis. I would have the honor at the moment of, of sitting in the chair at the front. But you, you just get a sense of, I, I remember it, uh, when I was a, a first year director coming in here, a certain amount of trepidation walking into a boardroom with a lot of people. But you immediately felt part of the, the team, part of the, the family that is the board of directors. And certainly from my point of view, you, we now encourage as much interaction as possible within the board. And, and you know, that this is a, this is a real hub for debate and discussion, um, and, and shaping the society of, of today effectively. The board of directors, they're drawn from all corners of Scotland and all aspects of agriculture nowadays, is that right? And not necessarily agriculture either. Um, so the, the, board, the board is drawn from the eight regions uh, of the society. Uh, four directors of four-year standing and one director for a one-year standing from each of those regions go to make up the board, along with um, a presidential team, which changes every year. And that mirrors the peripatetic nature that the show had. Up until 1960, when it became permanently based at Ingleston, it travelled the country um, to, to each of the regions in turn. And we still retain that connection to the past, if you like, or the connection to that nature of the show. So every year the presidential team rotates around, with the exception of this year that the Dumfries and Galloway team have been granted the opportunity to continue on for a second year. So I'm delighted about that because, um, you know, a lot of work goes into it, and it, it's, a, it's a hugely important thing for the regions as well. So, you know, within here, again, we're surrounded by history. You know, it wouldn't be complete without a Clydesdale. In fact, there's another one up at the front there. So this one is uh, a Clydesdale gelding. It belonged to Messrs. Hervey and Company in Edinburgh. It was painted by a John Sheriff, and it was presented to society by Sir Henry Stevens. But a hugely important part of Scottish agriculture Fantastic beast. I'm, I'm not a horseman, but um, you can't help but be in awe when you're in their company, you know. Bill, I think like you, I like to think about that gathering in the Tontine in Edinburgh, the, the farmers getting together and forming the society. And I like to think that 
I would have been there. I would have been a member of that. How do you feel about that? Um, absolutely. I, 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 to be a pioneer in anything, I think, is, is fantastic. Uh, I, I've never been one to sort of... Um, I've, I've made some mistakes in my farming career, I have to say, because I've maybe been a bit too quick taking on some new technology or something. But, you know, to be a forward-thinking person like that, yeah, absolutely. I would say if you talk to any of the members who are here now uh, to say, you know, if you'd had the opportunity to be one of those founders, I think everybody would jump at it. Yeah, it's it's uh, quite mind-blowing, actually, when you think a relatively small number of people could actually start off something that's become this, you know. Bill, when you come in here, when you come in here to the, the, the boardroom, especially now in the role, in your role as chair, do you feel that weight of history? I do, absolutely. And, and I feel a huge responsibility a responsibility to the current board for me to do the best that I possibly can to steer the society and help to, to lead the society, but also the weight of, of the history of all the, the chairs that have gone before me. We're standing here looking at the board of, of, of the chairman past. And uh, yes, when you start looking down through this list, to have your name on there in, in such exalted company, you know, this particular board dates back to 1894 and I'm sure the family won't mind me if I mention that uh, in 1894-95, Sir James Gibson Craig was the chair. That's the first name on this particular board, uh, and the last name on the board is mine. So that's quite a a huge um, honour to be part and parcel of the names on this board. And and I would like to think when I get out of the seat for the time, I can look back hopefully with some satisfaction. We're obviously um, in slightly difficult times at the moment, and and you know we're not going to shirk away from that. So I, I have a, um, a real focus on, on making sure the society um, remains sustainable and, and looks forward to the future. And if I do continue to 2022, that when it says 2022, that I'll be able to look back with an element of pride and satisfaction that I helped the society for the three years that I was in charge. Can't tell you how much of an honour it is, you know, particularly for myself. You know, I'm, I'm not from an agricultural background, came in through a, a, a side door, but I'm Scottish trained, if you like, at Auchan Crewe proven elsewhere and back to Scotland and um, you know been managing a farm for 20 odd years uh, in Pathhead so I think I've um, hopefully put a bit of a stamp in Pathhead anyway uh, and hopefully the, uh, the right stamp will, will, will be my legacy from here. Do you think you are here in your role at one of the most difficult times the society has faced? I would say uh, obviously the war years would have been really difficult for, for all sorts of different reasons I dare say. And then I guess the next time, the 2001 cancellation of the show for Foot and Mouth, you know, a huge, huge impact on livestock and an emotional impact on people um, during that time. Um, I think that the this COVID-19 pandemic that we're in at the moment has long-lasting effects, which I don't think, you know, we're, we're just not sure how it's all going to pan out. Uh, I don't think anybody does. So I think from from our point of view, yes, I think there are more challenges here than we've probably faced in the, in the past. You know, there's a huge people price to this pandemic. I do know people have lost their lives. You know, while it's really important that the society continues to flourish and grow, takes this challenge face on, does what it needs to do to continue to be viable. But you can't help thinking that in the grand scheme of things, the human cost is is, is much more poignant. But that doesn't take any focus away from what needs to be done. And we need to do it for all these people as well who are on here, on this board, uh, all these past chairs, uh, and for all of our members. But we've had fantastic support from the membership, um, humbling support from the membership and the wider agricultural community. 
and we know with that backing and that support that, that um, you know, we will put things in place that will, will bring us back, back into the, uh, the good times in the future. That was Bill and I talking at Ingleson House back in 2020. Before we go, soon after this year's show, Bill will hand over the reins of the RAS chairmanship. And I'm sure you'll agree it's been a roller coaster period for Bill to be in the chair. But hopefully he'll be ending on a high. You know, leading a, a, a society of, of the stature of the Royal Highland, an agricultural society, brings its own responsibilities and, and, um, and, and a real desire to do the right thing for our members, for our communities and, and for rural Scotland, which I hope we've done. But yeah, um, a couple of years of, of, of a lot of soul searching. We've been down a few dark corridors over the last couple of years. But without doubt, we've emerged, I think, pretty robust and, and sustainable, resilient, but also excited, looking forward to almost a celebration of coming out of the darkness, if you like, with the with the show coming up this year. So from my point of view, I think if we'd lost this show, I think um, I might have presumed I was jinxed in some way. But um, I'm glad to say that all being well, we're looking at a barnstormer on the 23rd of June. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to just being able to celebrate with everybody else what's best about food farming and rural life in Scotland. Well, Bill, I think we all uh, we all owe you a huge vote of thanks for what you've done over the last few years. And um, yeah, wish you luck for, for the show. We might bump into you, catch up with you there and then, but I think you'll be a very busy man. So we'll maybe even get a chance for a catch up and a wee drink afterwards. Good man, Bill. Thank you very much. Thanks, Monty. Many thanks to Bill. Many thanks to Bill Gray. His chairmanship of the Royal Highland and Agricultural Society of Scotland will certainly go down as a piece of Scottish history. As ever, thanks to you for being with us for the chat. If you're going to the show, I hope you have a great time, and I hope to see you there. Ha! <laughs> you might even be able to buy me a drink if you like. Or maybe it should be the other way around. Maybe I should be buying a drink for loyal listeners. Anyway, we're just going to finish with our usual reminder. The On Farm Podcast is made by our team here at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing and you can come to us anytime for a chat about any aspect of rural or food business PR, marketing or communications. That's it from me and bye for now.